Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Peter. And we are parents of two children, Alberto and Rosina. Each week we sit down together and chat about the reality of raising children. So, if you're a new parent, expecting or just want to see what it's all about, this is the place for you. This, this is, is The, the Parent Sesh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Parent Sesh podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a great week. It has. We've had a nice time. Uh, before we talk about the topic today, which is sleep and mm-hmm. s- how we got our kids to sleep, we may have teased it last week that we have exceptionally sleeping children. <laughs> but today is going to be a little bit about that journey uh, and how we got it to happen. But of course, we like to start every week with a bit of a story yeah. from the week gone. And it's not been as eventful, nothing quite as crazy as hair being ripped out from no. a scalp. But it's something, this one's a bit more of a heartwarming story. Yeah, definitely. You know, our, my, our son Alberto has been playing football. Soccer. Football. For the Football better part, in our household, yes, and soccer to a lot of other Australians. I will. I'm on a mission. Everyone will call it football. Anyway, <laughs> he's been playing football for the last probably four months, mm-hmm. I would say, and just this week gone, he had technically the last session of the season. There is a new season starting in a few weeks, yeah. but this current season ended. Yeah, and it was just so nice to see. His progress. It's crazy how far, how how much change has happened, isn't it? Yeah. You know, in the age of technology we live in, we did manage to obviously record some video from his very first session at the start of the year. Yeah. And just to see his ability improve, whether that be his spatial awareness on the field, his tackling, or probably the thing I noticed the most was his dribbling with the ball. Yeah. But even more than that, it's just his confidence overall. Absolutely. Is, it's different. Yeah. Now at the end, they, they did a little presentation where they gave him a trophy. Mm-hmm. Got to say, I'm not the biggest, well, not really the biggest fan of participation trophies. Yeah. See, neither was I. Until our little boy's up there getting a trophy and he's so excited by it. And you just think, wow. I think the purpose of them is to keep them engaged Mm -hmm. and to get them to continue their excitement into the next season. So I'm all for that. Absolutely. I think once they get a little bit older, we'll probably try and maintain a different attitude. But for now, while he's learning the game and getting excited over it, it doesn't hurt for him to get rewarded for that. Very cute to see all of them in their kits with mm. their trophies. So happy. Very exciting. Uh, one thing we actually uh, got him to do was we bought cookies. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I didn't make them. That was my nah. intention. But he's got time for that <laughs> anymore. Bought was Fast and loose. And one thing that we really got to enjoy seeing him do was actually sort of share the cookies out amongst the team. He walked up to every child and goes, do you want a cookie? And gave them one and they said, thank you. And he even went up to the coaches. That was Mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. 
So we were really proud, proud little parents yesterday, mm-hmm. watching him accept his trophy and be a part of that. Yeah. So that was this week. Who knows what next week will bring with kids? Mm. It could be back to menacing. You're not. You're never sure never with parenting. Know. But obviously, this week is about sleep and getting kids to sleep. So we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk all about it. So sleeping. Kids and sleeping. It's a big topic. Yes. And you hear a lot about it amongst the parenting world about what it's like and I guess how do we make them sleep? I think that you hear more from parents that have children that aren't sleeping as well than you do from parents like us that do have our children sleeping through the night. There could be a couple of reasons for that. Mainly, (laughs) you know, the looks you get when you say your kids sleep is, "Mm, are you even a parent? (laughs) (laughs) Have you even gone through that process? But we say we're lucky, but we've taken steps to get there. And right now, straight off the top, we have kids, both of them, that sleep 12 hours yeah. in the, in their own room, yep. separate to our room, no co-sleeping. Yeah. Racina's in a cot Racina's and Alberto's in a, in a bed. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's nothing where they come into our room during the night. It's just straight, put them in there, we see them in the morning. Yeah. And we followed the same process for both children and it was successful. We learned some things from Alberto's sleeping journey to Racina's, but largely they were they mirrored each other quite nicely. Yeah. And it all kind of really kicked off for us at the seventh month mark when we were really looking at a what do we do to get them to sleep through the night? And well, you found a method online. Yeah, we knew we had to get, at the time, Alberto out of the bassinet and into his cot and just figuring out what journey we were going to take with that and how it was going to, what it was going to look like moving forward. And we found one, the check and console method. Yeah, at the time, I thought it was called cry it out method, but just looking it up recently, it's called check and console. That's not to say there's no crying involved. There's quite <laughs> well, a bit. That's the consoling. That's the consoling part. <laughs> but the, it has some very, I guess, specific guidelines to follow to really drum home the message that it is sleep time for them. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the seventh month mark. But, you know, it, it might seem like, oh, well, we're at the seven month mark and we tried all these methods, but something's not really right. For us, it was very much a methodical process that we thought about from the moment the kids were born. Yeah, how sleep impacted them, how sleep impacted us, and just trying to figure out the best way for our new normal to then be as beneficial as functional functional as possible. So I think that one of the biggest standouts when I reflect back on Alberto and my pregnancy with him and what all the advice you get given throughout that time was a midwife or an obstetrician, I can't remember exactly who, said to me in one of my appointments that babies or in the womb sleep 
during the day when you're most active, when you're moving around or sitting and sort of constricting their movements. And then they're most active and awake throughout nighttime when you're more relaxed and, you know, lying down and spread out and give them more ability to move. And so for us, it was knowing that when the baby is born, we want to make sure that that shift happens where they start to realize that night is for sleep and day is for being awake. I have to say it was some of the best advice we got given. You get thrown a lot of stuff at at Mm -hmm. you, but that and us following that really set the trend because... It might have taken a couple of weeks to get Alberto and Racina, because we did the same thing with her, used to that mm. because they are nine months of the same thing. But getting them in the, the habit of it's dark at night and it's light during the day, like making sure we didn't close the, the blinds mm-hmm. and putting them near windows when they were sleeping and just keeping them like alert and awake at certain times, that really set us up right at the start. Yeah. And and then it was around about, I think it was the six-week mark mm-hmm. when you can really start to stretch their sleep out a bit more. That kind of worked for us. And oh, what a relief. <laughs> what, <laughs> what a relief. Obviously, in that first six weeks, it's it feels like, will this ever end? Yeah. Especially th- for the first child. Yeah. And I think in particular... I- you are quite a light sleeper. So as much as the intention going into it was, I'll, the mother, I'm breastfeeding, I'll wake to the baby throughout the night. It just didn't work that way. He was in a bassinet next to our bed and... On your side of the bed too. So it wasn't necessarily on my side. It was on your side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And therefore you would be awoken... Anyway. Anyway. And you would generally go back to sleep relatively fast but any disturbance can be really really challenging especially when you you're working full-time whereas I wasn't we well, yeah, I was in the office at that point and I think once we hit that six week mark that was when we really noticed a bit of a change because we could get them to sleep for that six hours yeah six hours straight and then what we like to call a dream feed where They might slightly wake up, be more half asleep, half awake, and they would have a feed. And then you just make sure that you're keeping them in that kind of dreamy. Sleepy phase. Sleepy phase. Don't turn lights on. Yeah. Don't make too much noise. Don't unswaddle or take them out of their sleeping bags. Like you're keeping them all cozy. And I think that really helped us gather ourselves a little bit more because we knew there was going to be a point where we'd get that long six hours. It was funny though, because with Alberto, the six hours was midnight to 6am. Yeah. Whereas Racina, we thought this is where the learning comes from. With Racina, it was rather than midnight to 6am, it was 9pm to 3am. Because after that 3am or 6am feed, they'd go back to sleep for another, what, three hours? Two hours, maybe? Three to six. After, mm. after Depending six on how weeks. old they were at that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a little bit more the older that they got. So you could be looking at two six-hour stretches or you'd be looking at a six-hour and a three-hour, four-hour stretch when they're about eight weeks. 
something like that. So, yeah, but <laughs> there were two. There were a couple of reasons why yes. we changed and why you did it the other way the first mm-hmm. time. The first what first time it was you loved sleeping in. <laughs> you yes. loved sleep in the morning. Yeah, I was definitely a bit more of a night owl, staying up a bit later and waking up a little bit later. I didn't love early mornings, that's for sure. I don't necessarily love them now, but they work. And then the second pregnancy, that was when you kind of had a, a want and a need to, to attack the day a bit earlier. So yeah. by putting her down at nine, dream feeds at three, wakes up at like between six and nine in the morning. It allowed you, you would get up with the day as well at that point. Mm-hmm. So there were benefits to both systems. Yeah. The biggest point was that they were sleeping six hours. Yeah. And it really gave us a bit more confidence in just knowing that that point of the night was coming mm. and that we would get that as parents. Because ultimately for us, we we wanted to give the best of ourselves to our kids and we were feeling like we weren't doing that in that first six weeks because you're cooked. Yeah. <laughs> you're so done. I also remember another difference between Alberto and Racina was with Alberto, you always get the advice, sleep when the baby sleeps. And with him, I didn't do that. I was just always awake because I kept saying to myself, oh, but you sleep at night. Like that's the time you sleep. It's hard to then have day naps. But with Racina, I really just went into that phase and went into day naps where I could, whether it was an hour, two hours, whatever I needed to have it didn't feel so foreign or so strange to be sleeping during the day well i think you were allowed to sleep during the day with racina because she was having her day naps as well as her night sleep Mm. so we weren't missing out on her sleeping during the day and you getting that rest and that recovery that you need Mm -hmm. you were still getting that because she she had a routine pretty much every day that was being stuck to and then you kind of get through that period and with Alberto, I just remember thinking, I would love some more sleep. And as much as the six hours was good, you're looking forward to that point where they're sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. And I think we got to the six month mark when we really started to look into, well, what is it that What's we do? Next? What's next? How mm-hmm. do we do it? And that is where we stumbled upon the check and console method. Yeah. It wasn't something we implemented straight away. No, I think for us at six months was we were just introducing food and a key component to them sleeping longer is making sure that they're full and they don't need to be having the extra nutrients or food during the night and they're able to sleep. They can sustain themselves Mm -hmm. through a longer period of time. Yeah. So I guess for that month, it was really about us trying to get them used to having full tummies. Mm-hmm. And there were other things we did, like I think with Racina in particular, we, we shifted her six-hour stretch from 9 o'clock to 7.30 mm-hmm. to get her used to that time frame being the time to be put down. Yeah. And that worked. That yeah. really worked. I don't think we did that with Alberto. I think mm-hmm. we maybe started putting him down at like 9 and then 12 and then 6 was his feed. I can't remember specifically. Mm. If you remember, now would be a good time to chime in. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking to myself, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. We can edit this out. (laughs) But I think for both kids, that six to seven month period was pretty crucial for us because we got ourselves ready. Yeah. 
and we also <laughs> we also got the room ready yeah if you remember with alberta and even with Rosina, we didn't have their room ready we had elements of their room were elements there. of their room were there but the overall theme to the room or having even just the baby monitor set up didn't happen until that month that six to seven month i remember with alberto thinking we needed to be super organized mm -hmm. and we tried as much as we could but then it's not until that final month when you realize we're not even close and then with racina we didn't even bother for the first six months doing anything we didn't have a cot mm, for months mm. eight out of from her sleeping and I remember getting that ready and thinking we're almost at the point. Yeah. Because honestly, with Racina, we knew when it was going to happen. Yeah. Which gave us peace of mind. We knew what we were going to do. Everything was in place right from the moment she was born. And tying slightly back to last week's episode of minimalism, we didn't want to be living with these staged areas that mm. aren't being used. And I feel like that's how it was with Alberto a little bit as well, that we were just so in the mindset well this room isn't used so why have it set up or why complete the look like we had a cot at the time and a rocking chair in there and things like that but that was it that was all mm. and then we we're like oh he's he's gonna move in here soon mm -hmm. so we need to get ourselves in order but the whole process between the first child and the second child all built to this seven month mark where they were comfortable with their food intake. We'd increased it slowly mm -hmm. and we knew it. we'd gotten to a point where they, they could sustain themselves through an evening. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk all about our experience with the check and console method. Console method. Originally, we thought it was cried out, mm -hmm. and at the time, it sounded accurate because there's a lot of crying in this step of getting children to fall asleep on their own and self-soothe. And let us just reassure you a little bit: the crying is not to do with them being in pain or being upset. It's more them trying to get attention. Uh, they want you to rock them to sleep or pat them to sleep or something like that. And you're basically trying to show them that they can do it on their own. Little attention seekers. I'll <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> so look to the outsider, if someone's walking past your window and they hear it, it's not going to sound nice and they're going to think something's seriously wrong, but you just have to maintain your conviction. And that's what we had to do. We had to maintain our conviction. So, Let's break down the check and console method on an overall, and then we'll talk about how it worked for us. Basically, check and console is you put them down at a predetermined time each night. And for the first 10 minutes after you put them in their cot, you sit next to their cot with them. Well, this was our rules. It's diff it can be different for everyone. You're allowed to set your own rules and expectations of what this is going to look like. It's just basically saying that at intervals of time, you will be going back into the room and sitting next to the cot, but not ever picking them up, patting them, 
or feeding them. Definitely the last one, mm. feeding them, is something that just sends the wrong message. Yeah. And effectively, you just continue this process throughout the first night, the second night, the third night. And what you'll find is that with each not passing night, the amount of times you're going back in there mm. will start to fall. Yeah, because they'll be drifting off to sleep easier. They're learning, they're adapting to their new routine, their new way of life. Right now, our two kids are in their in their rooms sleeping. Mm-hmm. It's allowed us to record this podcast. Mm. But with Racina, when we used to put her down, it was check and console. Yeah. With Alberto, when we used to put him down, it was check and console. Mm-hmm. Those processes lasted about a week for yeah. each child. And, you know, with Alberto, the first night we'd put him down at seven mm-hmm. and then it would be maybe an hour and a half yeah. before he would self-soothe to sleep. Yeah. And that was hard. Mm. I wasn't here for that one. I was, I actually you was traveling. Here, yeah. You were here for the first night. Yeah. And then you were away. And then by the time <laughs> I got back, it was done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be put down and sleep, but. I had enough, I got enough insight from that first night to know how difficult it was going to be mm. because they are absolutely howling mm. at the top of their lungs, especially when you're not so much when you're in there, mm. it's more that 10 minutes that you're not in there. Yeah. And the key for us with Alberto in particular was not overstaying that 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It was to be methodical with it. Because if you did sit in there for longer than 10 minutes, they'd get used to that. Mm. So it was making sure that even if they were awake, even if they were crying, you just have to escort yourself out of the room. Mm-hmm. Racina was a bit different. We'd put her down and she'd go to sleep. Yeah. And she'd be like, we're yes. like this is great. We don't even have to do check and consult. Mm-hmm. We did. <laughs> <laughs> She was a little different. I think because we did do that shift of her falling asleep at seven and then waking up about nine to have that feed before the six hour stretch. So that's what she did when she went to the cot. So then we had to do the check and consult after she'd already been asleep for two hours. Mm. And her process took around about the same time where she didn't need us to go in there anymore. However, every now and then she might have a bit of a difficult time going to sleep it's not so much going to sleep she might startle herself awake Mm -hmm. so we just follow the check and console and it's back to normal yeah the key for us is absolutely to be disciplined with not picking them up yeah because if we did that i don't know where we'd be right now Mm -hmm. with our kids and sleep because ultimately that would just send them the message that well, I'm just going to cry until someone comes and gets me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, don't, we didn't want that. No. No. And the differences as well with Alberto and Rosina, because they are two different babies. They have two different personalities and desires and needs and everything, was that Alberto reduced his crying each night. So even though it did take a seven-day or seven night window of time for him to pick up this sleep training each night it got less and less and less so yes the first night was an hour 40 but then the next night was only 40 minutes and then it stalled a little bit and was but still decreased lower and lower and lower until he was able to sleep on his own you can see that improving and that gives Mm -hmm. you hope that this is working yeah and then you're on the right track rosina on the other hand was just as intense 
just as long every single night. And we, and I, I was questioning it. I was thinking maybe this isn't going to work for her. She's different. I kept hounding the point. We need to stick to the process Yeah. because I could see you wavering. There were times where you said, maybe we just need to pick her up quickly. I said, no. Mm. The intensity was very, very different with her. It was such a high pitched cry that we hadn't heard before. So it was very like, oh my gosh, shocking. (laughs) And by again, by the seventh time by the seventh night it then just dropped off it was like super super intense and then nothing and she slept and she slept and i remember that first night you always remember the first night Mm. you always remember the first night where you get that straight sleep from seven ish or 6 30 now for us until seven the next morning because you are so refreshed yeah you you get up and you're like ah (laughs) what's this like and yeah you don't never take it for granted. Let me tell you <laughs> that you never take it for granted. Mm. So we're we're in a really good spot with them. And the good thing is they've never really regressed. No. We never had any regression. I think we just were so diligent with sticking to the routine. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of it too is we didn't restrict nap time during the day just because they were sleeping at night. Yeah. And Alberto and Racina both... Like Racina still now, but Alberto up until he was about two, just after two and a half, was still having big long naps in the afternoon. Yeah. And Racina still has a morning nap as well. I think that one of the hardest things is overtired children. Mm. So if they're not napping during the day, it's going to be much harder to get them to sleep at nighttime, which just seems crazy because you think the more tired they are, the easier they'll go to sleep. Wrong. But that's not right. For some reason with children they need to have consistent sleep to allow them to sleep better and then also to function better when they're awake we were of the mindset that they needed to have that long nap to recharge themselves get their energy back so then they could spend the energy again mm-hmm. so they could wake up at three thirty in the afternoon move around eat more food go to a playground go to a playground and just kind of burn off that energy that they'd just gotten back from napping mm-hmm and then fill their tummies with food, get them nice and comfortable, and then they're ready for sleep again. Yeah. And it's just proved fruitful for us. Yeah. So you can you can say, oh, you're so lucky, but we've worked really hard. Yeah. And that first seven months wasn't smooth sailing. Like you have to be diligent. You mm-hmm. can't just say, oh, we'll skip their nap this afternoon mm. to go out. You can't say, we'll go out for dinner late with the with the kids. Or with the six-month-old. Regularly. Regularly. Mm. Right? You might be able to do it one-off because babies are resilient. They can mm. adapt. But if you start to make that the habit and that the routine, then you don't get back what it is that you want to do. And for us, it was the long game. Yeah. We played the long game and we're at the end of the game mm. and it's good. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, the sleeping journey doesn't end just when they decide to go to sleep. Alberto is four and a half. There was every opportunity that when he went into his big boy room, that things might change again. Mm. So we've done some really good things with him in that sense. So we're going to take another short break. When we come back, we'll quickly touch on how we made that transition.
Okay, so before the break, we were talking about sleep training and the check and console method and where it sort of landed us to with both our kids. But there was another sticking point for us, and that was the transition from Alberto going from the cot to his big boy bed. Now, we tried everything to stop this from happening. Because if you remember, mm. in he was he was cheeky, and he would climb out of his cot, and we'd find him like in the lounge room in the morning by himself. Yeah, and even at nighttime, he would not go to sleep. Like it became an activity to climb out of the cot and he was we felt at the time he's so young he can't be in a big bed he's gonna roll out of the big bed what are we gonna do we don't have a cot that has the toddler bed functionality so first <laughs> we tried a baby gate in the yeah in and the room. yeah mm-hmm. for the door and he he quickly figured that out. We didn't screw it in, yeah. to be honest. We didn't want to make the hole yeah. because we're like, oh, then we'll have to patch it and repaint. And- <laughs> we were so lazy when it came to that sort of stuff. So he would be able to untwist the bolt section that so sticks against annoying. the door. Yeah. And then therefore the gate would kind of loosen and then the door would be able to pop open without the, you know, childproof latch. So initially we tried to restrict him from doing that but we just didn't think it was the right way so (laughs) i'm (laughs) laughing because i know what we did next you know those don't try this at home no please don't try this at home (laughs) only if you're desperate so we had those baby what would you call them like it was like a playpen playpen but it was four pieces that just fitted together and it had like connecting yeah Mm. so the issue was that he could climb, he could get his, hoist his leg over the cot, uh, what do you call that, rail, over yeah. the cot rail. And he was smart. He used to leverage bits of furniture that close by or the wall or mm-hmm. he used to, he used to be really chair. clever. The rocking chair mm-hmm. was next to it. So we had a really clever idea that... <laughs> well, we ordered... <laughs> It's so bad, guys. While we ordered his bed, because at the time it was taking, I think, six weeks. It, was, it wasn't as long as what beds would take now, but back mm. then it felt like a long time. Yeah, it was six weeks to get the bed delivered. And then we had to assemble it, which usually would take someone a day. Oh, less than a day. But <laughs> yeah. For us, um, it sits in the, the box t- and then we do it. At the time, yeah, it was a little bit more difficult. So we needed this time, this six weeks until this bed finally arrived (laughs) to allow him to sleep because he was tired. He wanted to sleep, but it's that impulse control that they don't have. And he knew he could climb out and wanted to climb out. So I'll paint you a picture of things we used. Mm. Zip ties (laughs) and these playpen fences that (laughs) are initially meant to be constructed together. But what we ended up doing... Separating them. ...was we... (laughs) We hoisted it like a bit, like connected it to the side of the cot and then zip tied the rails to the rails of the cot. To higher. make it just high enough that his leg couldn't hoist over it. That's That was the goal. It wasn't to make it a pen or, or a, a jail. cage or a jail. <laughs> it was so bad. As much as it looked like a jail. Oh, dear. So we surrounded the cot with these things and... It made it a bit tricky getting him in and out of bed every day, mm. but 
It was just a measure we felt we needed to take. We showed some friends who came over and they laughed and laughed. Thought it was hilarious. It was effective. It, it did was work. Effective. Yeah, it did work. He would went straight back to just going to sleep on his own like within a couple of minutes. So we definitely were like, okay, this for sure was going to take us through. Yeah, it wasn't something to do with a sleep regression or something like that. It was it was literally just impulse control and yeah. the ability to get out and thought it was funny. But then the bed arrived and we were able to dismantle that cage that we'd created over the cot. <laughs> Not a cage. <laughs> oh, gosh. But we got him into his bed and we obviously put the bed rails on because, you know, they're not quite ready to not move around during their sleep or control their movements. So they would find themselves edge of the bed, maybe falling off. So you put the bed, the side rails on, no problem. And we kind of found it pretty natural because we stuck to the same routine. We didn't change too much. We still would read him his stories. We still, we got drummed up excitement. We let him go. We went out and went picked out his bedding so he could choose what, bed sheets and bedspread he he wanted and his mm-hmm. pillow and everything like that. So we also, in the weeks and months prior to him moving, uh, got him to nap in there a mm. couple of times. And this was, this was before we had his bed. We had a queen bed in there. Because like we said in the, in the minimalist episode, mm. we just had to have furniture in every room. Yeah, we dressed every single room for a so-called guest. <laughs> That's right. So we had a queen bed in there. And we occasionally would let him nap in there in the afternoon. So we got him used to the idea of that being his room, the psychology of it. And so when it came time to actually move, he was ready. Now the only problem we found was again in the morning with him wanting to get out earlier than he should have or needed to because he'd maybe wake up and then he'd just go out. So we put the baby gate back. Again, he figured out and dismantled that system. So we needed another system and I think it got maybe a a month in and we got recommended this product. It was really challenging in our previous house because his bedroom was where the sun went up. So he would get sunlight into that room really, really early and he wasn't used to that coming from the nursery because we had lockout curtains and then in his big boy room, we only had blinds. And if everyone knows what blinds are like, there's cracks in the side that lets the sunlight in. So his room ended up looking very bright and like morning at six. Especially because we transitioned him to that room in summer, basically the yes. st- almost the start of summer. So sun was coming up way earlier than before. Yeah. So he was getting used to that and... And not really understanding what time is, what time of the day it is and how that relates to when he wakes up or when he should, you know, go back to sleep because it's too early. So he wasn't really understanding that yet and he needed to to learn in a way that he could understand. Now, this isn't the tip section yet, but I'm going to give a tip <laughs> because this is a product that was recommended to me from a work colleague of mine who swore by it. And we looked at a couple of different options because maybe we were like, maybe we can find a better one. You can't. This clock is perfect because it really does teach them and give them a sense of independence over when to come in and out of their room. 
It's called a grow clock, G-R-O-C-L-O-C-K. And basically the whole concept is at nighttime, you put the clock, you set the clock to blue, which indicates that it's sleeping time. It also has stars. That's right. It counts down a whole bunch of stars. Mm. So like it would be maybe 15 stars on the clock. That seems like too many. That seems way too many. (laughs) I'll revise that. I'll change it in the notes later. But when it gets closer and closer to the time that it's sunrise, the stars leave. And then eventually the time that you set it to as the parent, so you could set it to 6.30, 7 o'clock, in my case, at some points during Peter's high premises, 7.30, and the stars will disappear. And then at the moment it hits that time, the clock transitions from blue to yellow to represent the sun. And that time is when they see that color change that they know that they can get up and get out of their room. Mm-hmm. And it took a couple of weeks maybe for him to get used to that concept. But once he got used to it, he was sitting there waiting for that clock to go yellow. Mm-hmm. And it kept him in his room. It kept him in his room. He might play or read maybe for 10 minutes, but it, it allowed him that time to wake up and yeah. not come out and just start running amok. It gave him that sort of quiet time in the morning to really ease into the day. Yeah. And I think it also gave him the reassurance that whether it's summer or winter, the time doesn't change. So he would even though it might seem darker outside because it's winter, it's still 6.30 or 7 o'clock or there's still two stars left on the clock and he can go back to sleep. That's right. And it did that. And it also had another benefit to us is that if he ever woke up in the middle of the night, he could see the clock was blue and he would know that he's not to leave his room. So that meant that he wasn't coming into our room to help be put back to sleep. He knew that that was going to be his room still. So he knew he had to find his way to get back to sleep and soothe himself back. Mm -hmm. And it worked. It worked extremely well for us. And it's a system we still use right now. He's four and a half. Yeah. And he still will stay in his room until that clock goes yellow, which we've set at the moment to 7am, which works really well for us. And Racina is currently 11 and a half months old. So almost 12 months. She's not quite ready to learn the system yet. But it's going to be, because they're in a shared room, it's going to be a system that we definitely adopt for her. And, you know, hopefully Alberta will want to teach it to her and we can just watch that relationship blossom. But the benefit of it, that her being in there now, is that we don't get her until seven anyway. So she's kind of in that habit of not being taken out of the cot until around about seven, Mm -hmm. which is when he comes out. So it's, it's already going to be working for us and we can already sort of train that into her from this 11 and a half month old age. God, I'm so excited to stop saying months. <laughs> it's so close. So our sleep journey has been a pretty big one. And I'm pretty happy with where it is. I think you are happy with where it is. Yeah. And the kids are happy. The, we don't right. have days where they're overtired or or anything. Like that they have had a really bad night's sleep or that they've woken us up during the night. It just doesn't really happen for us, which is amazing. It's incredible. And look, we're not having wild parties after they go to sleep and like going around town and living it up. We still are being very conservative in the fact that we like to have our rest periods and we Mm. use that as our downtime to really recover. 
so we can go again the next day because days with kids are full on. But there's always that point where you're looking looking ahead and you know that they're going to go to bed mm-hmm. and you're going to get your time. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> so there's some other stuff we haven't mentioned. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will run through our tips for getting your kids into a really good sleeping routine. So we're at a really good point. Kids are sleeping. We've spoken about how we've gotten there, mm. what we've done, the journey. We're bearing the fruits of that labor, if you will. But there's a couple of things we left out because we feel that they deserve their own isolated time to make this whole process work. Mm-hmm. The first one, I'm going to say it three times. Because that's how important it is. It you're times. going to say it three times. Sorry, I do not want to steal her thunder. This you're, is my tip. <laughs> you're going to say this three times. Go. Swaddle, swaddle, swaddle. You know when you're on a plane, they say evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. This is more important than that. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But well. <laughs> in your baby's journey, maybe. In, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe scale, scalable to a certain degree. <laughs> But it's so, so important. And I don't, I have never heard another parent say that their baby isn't sleeping well if they're swaddled. Like I've never heard that. I've always heard from our friends and family that have babies that aren't sleeping very well. They always say that they, oh, they're, I say, what are they sleeping in? And they'll say this, that, the other. They never say a swaddle. Mm. And I say, well, get that baby in a swaddle. Swaddle them up. Lock those arms in place. Swaddles come in many shapes and sizes, different types of things, different concepts that work well for different people. Um, I don't think it matters what kind of swaddle they're in as long as they are swaddled. That's what's important and whatever's easy for you to work out. So for us with Alberto, very novice, didn't understand how tight or how loose or should you tuck the feet under or not leave them free all the things we weren't really sure of and a friend of ours gave us a really great first time parent swaddle which was called an origami wrap so good it was really really good it sort of took away all those worries and made us feel like we we in control (laughs) we knew what we were doing pretty much professional parents it pretty much (laughs) sizes it up step by step over which piece to swaddle and when or how yeah one two three four yeah that's it the steps are there Mm -hmm. and then you're done yeah and the reason why swaddling works is because it replicates their feeling of when they're in the womb Mm -hmm. that's arms sort of compressed tightly against their chest the pressure on top of their chest and they're feeling secure and Mm -hmm. they're feeling comfortable yeah that is why it works the, the other side of it as well is that whilst they're sleeping, babies tend to uh, fidget or... They can wake themselves they up. They can wake them, startle themselves. By moving by their m- arms, moving right? moving their arms. Scratching their face. Mm-hmm. And that can then keep them awake and you won't be able to get them back to sleep. Whereas swaddling stops that from happening. Yeah, it keeps them... All tightly wrapped, warm, cozy, safe. 
Now, there's not a natural endpoint for swaddling, as in it happens at this point. It will happen when it happens for each baby. Mm-hmm. Alberto stopped wanting to be swaddled at about the eight-month mark, eight or nine months. Racina still likes her arms tucked in now. Yeah, she she's has almost a sleeping one. bag and absolutely loves her arms inside of it. We tried taking them out. <laughs> and to, to be fair, we probably should persist with it, but we don't want to have to go through that just yet. We'll wait until she's a bit more ready. She just likes a snuggle. She likes snuggling her yeah, arms in. and she does. It just comforts her. And throughout the night, she might get her arm free and, mm. you know, that will serve her well. But initially, to get to sleep, that's what she likes. Yeah. And this really helps as a key as well when you are transitioning from day to night and trying to allow your baby to understand that rhythm is that when you're feeding during the day, you then unswaddle them. And it's like a symbol, a moment to say it is daytime. You are able to be more active, to get your tummy time, to do all of these things. Whereas at night, when you're trying to keep them in this sleep rhythm and trying to do a dream feed, you keep them swaddled as you feed. And that's allowing them to fill up their tummy, get the nutrients they need, but also to acknowledge that it's still bed, it's still sleep. Babies are smart. Mm -hmm. They learn the routines and patterns that you show them throughout the day, which is a great segue to my tip. Mm which is all about routine Mm. and setting the bedtime routine and sticking to it. So they know and recognize the pattern It is time for bed with Alberto. The pattern that we set was bath dinner. I think it was dinner bath. And then it would be, I can't remember exactly the pattern we followed now. Oh my goodness. But how is it a tip then? Well, no, because <laughs> if you stick to the same pattern, it will be fine. But just don't follow this one that I'm rambling on about. But it, let's just say for the sake of this podcast, it was dinner, bath, breastfeed, story, swaddle, put into bed, dummy and comfort toy. Mm-hmm. That would kind of be the linear routine that would be followed. And... You just can't stop doing that. If you miss the story one night, they'll get confused. Oh, he, I get read a story at this time. Where's the story? Or if you decide, no, I'm not going to swaddle them or I'm not going to put them in a sleep suit or I'm not going to put them in their jammies or they're not going to have a dummy tonight. Again, the confusion will be, is it not bedtime? Mm. So sticking to that methodical routine and getting them in something that works for you, fine. You might want to shorten that routine down. Sounds very long, doesn't it? The routine that I said, you might want to condense that down and you might want it to just be food, milk, story, bed, but stick to it. Mm. Follow that same pattern. Even when you're on holiday. Even when you're on holiday, Mm -hmm. there's a thought process that, You can maybe ignore it when you're on holiday, but that is probably the time to reinforce it more. And the good thing about being on holiday is that, yes, if you wanted to extend it out a little bit, you didn't want their bedtime to be seven. You wanted it to be eight, eight thirty, but you would still follow the same routine leading into going to sleep. So regardless of what time it is. Yeah. The routine can shift over time. Like Alberto's routine now has changed significantly from, when I used to put him down earlier in his life, but there still is a story, mm-hmm. you know, he still has, he goes dinner, pajamas, story, 
comfort toy Henry with him and get tucked in. Mm. And we kind of follow that, you know, when he's being a good boy, <laughs> along most days. And it helps get him ready for bed because he knows that's that's the time. Yeah, it's time to unwind, time to bring the energy level down, calm environment. <laughs> yes, she says that, but often she will rile Alberto up like just about 15 minutes before bed. They'll play these really loud games. And look, I love it because they're really fun games and they really interact and engage well. But it can sometimes get him a bit hyped up before bed, which looks doesn't. It's just a little bit more interactive. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. He's getting flipped upside down. He's hanging from the ceiling fan. You know that sort of stuff. <laughs> so there are our tips: swaddle, 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 and find a nighttime routine that gets them set for bed and to recognize the pattern. And. Look, I'm not saying it's going to work for you. This is kind of just stuff that worked for us. The story and journey of our sleep journey is going to be different to someone else's. But there's principles in there that if you follow, you can you can get a lot out of them. Yeah. So we're done for this week. Third episode down. Wow. Wow. Feels like we're really on a good track with this at the moment. Mm. Next week, we have a really interesting episode I am a, uh, I'm the parent that works. Peter is a stay-at-home mum, mm-hmm. so we actually survive off a single income. So it's a bit less common now than maybe what it used to be. Yeah. So next week we'll come back and we'll talk about how we've made it work for us and what steps we took to, to make it be our reality. But and as in the meantime, oh yes, you yes, yes we have social media <laughs> we that do. we need to remind people about. We do, and. We also need to remind you that we love answering questions. Sometimes we feel that we've given as much information as we can, and yet there are still things out there that we haven't even addressed with regards to our story. So we would absolutely love if you would engage with us and ask us questions or tell us your story and what's going on for you, and and we can just commiserate together. (laughs) Yeah, we have Instagram. We have a Twitter, at the Parent Sesh. We'll pretty much be putting up maybe little clips of, the podcast onto there and you can follow our journey on there as well. So thank you very much for tuning in for another week and we'll speak to you all again next week. See you next week.